Mark 13, uh, let's look at verse 28. Hallelujah. Uh, The Bible reads like this. It says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Therefore watch, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Father, thank you for your word today. Pray that you speak to our hearts, give us ears to hear, and a heart to receive. We give you praise for it today in the name of Christ. And everybody says, amen. You can be seated. Turn around and smile at somebody real quick and say, good morning. Hallelujah. Well, I tell you, I, I want to say that as we were on the way home last Sunday from our, our wonderful vacation in the hills of Colorado, I'm thankful for live streaming technology. Pastor Seth did a great job preaching on bless this mess. Come on, did he do a good job? Amen. It was good. It was good stuff. I really enjoyed it, and I had a great time. But also, with the same realization, I, I just realized it's just not the same as being here. I, don't, I didn't get the same feeling that I got on the front row this morning. So I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for those who use it. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like coming together in the house of God. But we had a good time. We, we got refreshed. We, we got energized. Got to spend some time with some friends. We had a couple of, of uh, really close called encounters. I'll share some of those with you later. Not today, but, but uh, God is really, really, really good. Um, but as I was up there in those mountains, I began to study, and I began to look at a subject that I really do love. I began to look at Bible prophecy, and began to look at the signs of the coming of the Lord, and and uh, if you follow me on, on social media at all, some, some of you don't. Some of you probably unfollow, but that's okay. But uh, I gave 10 different levels of things that I saw were prophetic signs of the coming of Christ. And starting with Israel and starting with different things. And my heart began to get excited. My heart began to get overwhelmed. My heart began to think about the fact that the coming of Christ could literally be closer than we could ever even imagine. And this morning, I want to talk to you from this subject, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. I will be 40 next year. So I'm halfway up the hill, they say. But uh, let, me, let me tell you that when we grew up, when I grew up in school, I grew up in a very poor school district. 
Our school didn't have a lot of money. We were a small town of, of uh, just a couple of thousand people. Our playground equipment was old. It was crusty. It was dusty. It, I don't know how anybody approved it to be able to be used for children because it was, it was, there were, it was hazards. We had bolts sticking up out of the ground and, and all of those things. But like most kids, we, we did the best we could. We used our imagination. How many of you know imagination is a really good thing? We used our imagination to try to learn and, and to try to play and make scenarios in our minds. So we played things like cops and robbers, and, and it's not politically correct today, but cowboys and Indians. And we, we, we played different games of that nature. And one of those games that we played growing up was a game that's called hide and seek. Does anybody remember that? So one person gets, gets uh, tagged as the person who's it, and whether or not, depending on how you play the game, some people have to count to 20, some people have to count to 50, some people 100, and you may have 10, 15, 20 people. Really, it's unlimited at the amount of people who can play this game. But what happens is, is that everybody goes and hides except for the one person. And the person, uh, you know, he, he lets everybody go and hide. And then he takes the moment. He begins to count. He begins to say, one, 1,000. Two, 1,000. Three, 1,000. And, you know, maybe if you're a little kid, you're peeking with your eyes, you know. One, 1,000. Two, 1,000. Three, 1,000. You get to the end of your number. What do they say? Ready or not, here I come. And at that point, every participant in the game's heart is beating, it's palpitating. Uh, their adrenaline is rushing. Their palm is sweaty. And you're sitting there with expectation of, could it be me? Could I be the one? Did I hide enough? Can they see my shoelaces sticking out from around the slide? You're sitting there wondering, could, could I be next? And all of a sudden, you hear somebody say, tag, you're it. And the game starts over. As I was thinking about this this week, I began to think about the anticipation of that game and how we would sit there and we would, we would wait and we would be in expectation. There was a level of anxiousness, if you will, wondering on uh, who was going to be next. And friends, I want to tell you something, that as I begin to pray and study over the last few weeks, my heart began to be grieved, honestly. My, my heart began to be sad and weighed down because I believe we have lost that, that anxiousness or that expectancy when it comes to the coming of Christ. There was a day when we used to live with a fervent expectation that today could possibly be the day that Jesus would come. We, we lived with this moment of, since today could be the day, then I needed to live in such a way that I would be ready when Jesus comes. Come on, is anybody with me this morning? We live with an expectation of living a holy life, a righteous life, so that when Jesus would come, we would not be caught off guard. It's funny to me that when Jesus begins to teach in Mark 13 and Matthew 24 and other places about the coming of Christ, even Paul mentions that Christ's coming will be a sudden coming. It'll be a quick coming. One writer says it'll be like a thief in the middle of the night. Folks, Jesus is coming. I know that we've heard it time and time again. I know that perhaps our ears have become dull to it. I grew up 
in a small town, small church. Uh, grandparents were um, old-time holiness assemblies of God. And, and I mean, my grandmother, she, my great-grandmother, rather, she, she didn't watch television. In those days, we had two televisions. Anybody remember those? How many of you still have one? Just a couple people? Uh, okay, you know those old tube televisions that are real deep in the back? You know that uh, those were the dustiest places in the house, weren't they? I mean, layers and layers of dust. My great-grandmother called them dust demons. She said they were one-eyed devils. She didn't believe in watching television. She, I'm not saying that all that was right, but, but I, I am telling you, we have gone too far the other way. Uh, she was real careful about how she dressed. She wanted to be modest. She wanted to do those things. And, and she was always on us great grandkids about serving God and praying and living right because she would always say, you never know when Jesus is coming. And folks, I want you to know something this morning. Ready or not, here he comes. He is coming. The king is coming. We are on the brink, I believe, as we look at the Bible, we look at prophetic things, we are on the brink of seeing the Lord come. You say, Pastor Brad, we have heard that our whole life. Well, listen, I'm afraid that many of us have become dull in our hearing when we talk about the coming of the Lord, much like those in Noah's day. As Noah began to swing that hammer and he began to tell them the rain is coming, the flood is coming. He began to tell them that, 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 that people needed to repent. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And, and he was misunderstood. Up until that day, it never rained before on the face of the earth. But the Bible says one day God closed the door of the ark, closing the window of salvation. The fountains of the deep were broken up. And God opened up the windows of heaven and poured out the rain. It was a torrential downpour of God's judgment. But the door of the ark was closed. There were many people in the days of Noah who were caught off guard. And let me tell you what the Bible says. These are the words of Christ. As it were in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For they were eating, drinking, and they were being merry until the day that the flood came. Let me tell you something, friends. We are in a generation where everybody is, is shouting that you need to be woke. But I'm telling you that the church needs to be awakened to the fact that Christ's return is sudden and upon us, and we cannot lose the imminency in the air that it could be the day that, that we're in right now. It's very important for us to realize that say, how close, pastor, do you really think we could be? Well, let me show you some things, can we? Mark the 13th chapter. Go back with me to our text. The 28th verse, he says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. Everybody say fig tree. Now notice what he says, when its branches have already become tender and puts forth leaves, you will know that summer is near. And also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the door. And then he says this very bold statement. Surely I say to you that the generation which by no, no means pass away till all these things take place. What generation? The generation that sees those things. So, let's begin to, to look at this this morning because he talks to us about some signs. Mark chapter 13 is a parallel passage to Matthew 24 in our synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So this, these are the words of Christ talking to us about the things that will happen in the last days. Now, I want to give you just a few moments to, to turn over there and really look. And if you want to thumb over to Matthew 24, you can do that as well. 
Jesus, in the first part of Matthew 24, is telling the disciples about the destruction of the temple. Now, if you don't know this, there were two temples built. There were one in the days of Solomon, and then there was another temple. Both of those had been destroyed. The Matthew 24 temple was destroyed in about 70 AD when the Roman legion came in and destroyed it and ran all of the Israelites and the Jewish people out of their place, dispossessing them from their land. But I want you to notice that when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Lord, he says, I want you to look at the fig tree. Here's what's important for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. The fig tree in all of the Bible is symbolic of the nation of Israel. Jeremiah calls her a fig tree. Isaiah calls her a fig tree. She's she's referred to as a fig tree all throughout the Old Testament. And so Jesus is using a parable here to tell us that if you want to know about the signs of the coming, you begin to look at the fig tree. When it begins to put forth branches, when it begins to put put forth uh, uh, those, those fruits, he said, begin to look. And he said, the generation that sees those things, he said, they'll by no means pass away. So this morning, I want to start us off on a journey for a few moments, and I want to begin to look at some of these prophetic things that you and I need to look at. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, we got to evaluate the signs. We got to evaluate the signs. The fig tree represents, as I said, Israel. When Israel starts blossoming and coming again to the forefront, we need to pay attention. Church, look, look right here at me. Let me tell you something. When you look at Daniel, when you look at Zechariah, when you look at Jeremiah, Malachi, all of the Old Testament prophets, whether or not they've been deemed major or minor prophets, whenever there are prophecies of the second coming, they always refer to Israel and Jerusalem specifically. Here's what I need you to know. No prophetic end time promise about Christ coming, his second coming, could be fulfilled until Israel had become a nation. At 70 AD, when Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple, the Jews were displaced. Their land was, was, was given away to Palestinians and other people. And from that moment forward, the Jews did not exist as a whole unit. But I want you to know something. That in 1948, fulfilling the scripture, can a nation be born in a day? Israel was again reestablished as a nation. 1948, Israel was established as a nation. In 1967, Jerusalem became the capital of Israel. Now, I know what you may be thinking. You may say, I thought President Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Well, President Trump, nor the Palestinians or anybody else, gets to determine what the capital of Jerusalem is. God owns Jerusalem, and God determined where the capital of Israel was, and he said it would be Jerusalem. So you need to understand that in 1967 and 1948, two significant events happened. Israel became a nation, and then Jerusalem became the eternal capital again. And so now we begin to set stages. You've got to understand that people that saw those things happen have seen things that no other generation before them had ever seen. Are y'all with me this morning? Here's another one. At the end of World War II, after the, after the destruction of the Nazi regime, after the attempt of the extermination 
of the Jewish people and Hitler got a pretty good running start. The Jews began to slowly repossess their homeland. Coming from all over the world. Coming to the, from the various nations. From Russia, from Germany, from Spain, from all over the place. Uh, the Jewish people begin to come back to the place of Israel. Can I tell you that all of the end time prophecies tell us that when Christ comes, before he comes, he'll begin to call all of his people back to the nation of Israel. Oh, that's awesome. Here's another one. When you see that it begins to blossom and put forth its buds, he said, then you know that the time is near. Folks, when you begin to see Israel at the forefront of the news all the time, and everybody's talking about Israel, 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 and, and Israel begins to be the centerpiece of the world again, then you know that the time is at hand. But here's one that even gets to us a little bit later that's it's, it's really a great revelation the bible tells us that in the end that every single nation on the earth will turn its back ultimately on israel but we're, we're going to see some prominent nations like iran and russia and china that will turn its back on israel and folks when you begin to see china iran and Russia, and Israel in the news all the times, and you begin to see the Chinese governments reaching hands with the Iranian governments, and the Russian governments, and those dictatorial uh, uh, governmental people of the world start joining hands, you better start getting ready, because there is about to be a fourth person rise to power named the Antichrist. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, we are closer than we ever could possibly think. You say, well, pastor, I thought the Bible said that no man knows the day or the hour. You are absolutely correct. Nobody is setting a date. Nobody is setting any of those things. But while you cannot know the day or the hour, the Bible does say that we should be able to discern the times and the seasons. And folks, as we evaluate the signs, we know that Christ's coming is, is upon us. As I heard one person say, and I, I, I second that sentiment, they said, do you believe we're in the last days? Well, if you die today, it's your last day. Hallelujah. So hear me this morning. Whether by grave or by rapture, we will meet Jesus. We will bow our knee to him as Lord, or we will bow our knee to him as judge. But ultimately, we have to evaluate the signs. So Jesus began to talk to them about the, the, the signs of the coming of the Messiah. And, and then, number two, here's what he told us in our text. He told us to watch, and he told us to pray. Everybody say, watch and pray. All right, look at verse 32 with me. But of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. So notice that. Even Jesus doesn't know the exact day. But he says this, take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. He said, it's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded his doorkeeper to, to watch. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, if it's in the evening, at midnight, or at the crowing of the cock, the rooster, or in the morning, lest suddenly he comes and he finds you sleeping. This I say to all, and I say it to all, watch. So we got to evaluate the signs, but number two, we've got to watch and pray. 
Church, here's what I need to tell you. We need to learn to live with our eyes open. We ought to learn to live with our eyes open. So many people are walking around today with their eyes closed. They, they, they are out of focus. They're out of kilter. They, they're not living with this expectation that Christ could literally come at any moment. He tells us to watch. But notice this. He tells us to watch and pray. Everybody say watch and pray. See, that's why sometimes I pray with my eyes open. He said watch and pray. He tells us that Christ coming is like a master of a house who has gone away and he has entrusted some servants to manage his possessions. And in the time of their managing, Jesus says that they don't know when the master is coming. So it, let, me, let me tell you it like this. If you don't know when the master is coming, how many of you know it would be a good idea to stay busy? It would be a good idea to stay watchful. It, it would not be a good time to slack off. Notice that while uh, we were left to work, that while the master, while the master went away. Folks, that's you and I this morning. Jesus has went back to heaven. He ascended back to that place, and he's waiting for the command of the Father to come and get his bride. And Jesus tells us, watch and be ready, for you don't know the day or the hour or the season in which I'll come. And so he says you need to work, and you need to watch, and you need to be faithful. Everybody say, be faithful. It's important when Jesus comes to be found faithful. Now, what we understand when we look at the Scripture is that this coming is going to be sudden. The Bible says that it'll be like a thief who comes in the night. Unexpected. Unexpected. What should we do while we're working? While we're working, we should be Building the Father's business. What is his business? It's the kingdom of God. It's getting souls ready for heaven. It's discipling new believers. It's baptizing new believers. It's supporting missionaries, sending them around the world. We need to be faithful as managers and stewards of the household of God that we are building the kingdom while our master is far away, knowing with an expectation that one day he's going to come back and we are going to have to give an account to what we've done. But in this, he gives us a warning. And here's why I want you to lean in this morning and listen to me. He gives us a warning in the middle of telling us to be ready and to be watchful at his appearing. Notice this. If you look at it in verse 35, he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. He said, It could be at evening, could be at midnight while you're sleeping, could be in the morning when the rooster is crowing, or it could be earlier in, in the morning. He said, lest come suddenly, he finds you what? Sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Here's the third thing I want to say to you this morning. Stay awake. Stay awake. Somebody say, stay awake. 
I want to tell you to stay awake. He tells us to stay awake. Why? Because in the period of faithfulness and we're waiting for Christ to return, the challenge for us is to not become sleepy. The challenge for us is to not allow the spirit of heaviness and drowsiness to overtake our hearts so that when he comes, he does not find us doing what he has asked us to be doing. Amen. Now, let me make something very clear. Whenever we're waiting, it can cause a sense of laxity. After all, for generations, we have heard, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You know, the apostle Peter dealt with this. He said, for in the last days, scoffers will come, saying, where is the sign of his coming? Since the days of our fathers until now, they have been saying these things. And Peter goes on to tell us, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he is, he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me give you a little bit of information. Do you know why Jesus doesn't know when he's coming? Do you know why the angels don't know that he's coming? Do you want to know why all the other heavenly beings don't know when he's coming? Because God himself sets that date. And that window is being held open right now because God loves people so much. He wants them to have an opportunity to fall on their face and acknowledge him as God and to acknowledge him as creator and to worship him for who he is in their lives. And he's giving them a window. But friend, whether by death or rapture, that window will one day close. And like all of the people outside Noah's ark, should have believed the preacher. Should have believed him. I thought he was crazy. But now it's too late. The Bible says, hear ye the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And as the bridegroom went away to prepare, it says five of them brought oil and the other five did not bring enough. But whenever they realized that they were out, they tried to borrow some from somebody else. And, and the Bible says, arise at midnight. A call came. The bridegroom, come out to meet him. And the five of them went in. And five of them were not able to go in. Why? Because they were caught unprepared. The Bible says we got to stay awake and realize that Christ's coming is near. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's easy for us to get drowsy while waiting. The Bible says concerning our demeanor in the last days, he says to be sober-minded. Everybody say sober-minded. The, the opposite of sober-minded is to be intoxicated. And I have to admit to you, I had a moment the other day. I love when industry comes to our city. But Lord knows... All we need is one more pot shop and one more liquor store. I'm that kind of preacher. If you hadn't learned by now, 
My heart was thinking the other day. So I was driving past Brown Shoes. And I looked over to my left. And I saw a line all the way around the building. Out into the road. For folks to get some tipsy teas. So quiet you could hear cricket chirping here. And my heart began to wonder how many people in those lines go to church every Sunday. Well, pastor, I'm not doing it to get drunk. It's called tipsy tea. You don't go to Hooters to eat chicken wings. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't want to say amen. I'll say amen by myself. Y'all better hear me this morning. I wonder how many people have been intoxicated by the wines of this world. When Jesus comes back, I wouldn't want to be caught with a tipsy tea. When Jesus comes back, I wouldn't want to be caught in the back room of my house on the internet at 12 o'clock when everybody else is asleep. When Jesus comes back, I don't want to be texting my side chick while my wife is at work. Come on, somebody. How many people have allowed the spirit of drowsiness to come on them? But I believe God has sent a preacher to you this morning to sound the alarm clock on your soul to let you know that Jesus is coming. And if you're asleep, you better get awake. Folks, it's serious than you ever could think of. You know hell's real. People are going to spend eternity for there. They'll never get out. The smoke of their torment, Revelation says, it, it's forever morning and, and night. It, it extends forever and ever, and they have no rest. Say, preacher, why do you preach that way? Because I believe this stuff. I believe part of the reason why the church is asleep today because we've been, we've been lullabied and, and we've been rocked to sleep by a, a false gospel, a false narrative by people who are not preachers but just motivational speakers so they can count the nickels and the noses and the seats and the offerings every single week. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is coming back for a holy church. He's coming back for a church without spot and wrinkle. And I'm telling you, I want to be ready when Jesus comes. I don't want to be caught slipping. I don't want to be in a backslidden state I don't want to be doing something else I want to be found faithful somebody shout faithful I want to be found faithful I want to stay awake and not begin to fall asleep folks when the Bible talks about sleeping when Christ comes what he's referring to is an analogy of falling away from the mission, falling away from the function, falling away from the purpose. And folks, you and I, we have to live with that earnest expectation that Jesus could come any moment. I want you to close your Bible. Baptismal candidates, you can be dismissed. Close your Bibles with me. I know we don't hear about it a lot today, but hell is no joke. It's more than a curse word. It's a place. God did not ever intend for people to go there. But they go there because they reject His goodness. 
Tell you, hell's no joke. Sin is no joke. It'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You know one of the most troubling verses of Scripture to me? It's found, it's the words of Christ. He talks about his coming. Here's what he says. He says, on that day, there will be two in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. But then he says this. He says, there will be two in the bed. One taken. The other left. The field represents work. The bed represents relationship. One of the scariest things for me to imagine today is this, is that there may be people in this room, husband, wife, son, daughter. When Jesus comes, one of you may not make it. Folks, it's serious. Serious. Pastor, you better not preach like that. Nobody come back. I'd rather them not come back and, and go to heaven. Hallelujah. Folks, I'm telling you, it's serious. It is so serious that Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice, which was his life. So that we could be saved. Because none of us were good enough to save ourselves. There are really only two categories of people. Saved people or lost people. You say, Pastor, I thought there were good people, bad people. No, 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 no. Because there's some people you think are good, they're going to hell. Some people you think are bad, going to heaven. I'm glad God doesn't judge like we do. Because we're not going on our righteousness, we're going on His. And only his blood present is, is, is uh, applicable to cover us and grant us access into heaven. Come on. It's not because I'm perfect. It's because he's perfect. But even in us following Christ, he tells us to walk with an expectation that today could be the day. How many of you ever lost a loved one who saved Come on, raise your hand. The book of Hebrews tells us that whereby we've been accomplished about, we're surrounded around by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are people that have gone on before us that are in heaven waiting on that grand resurrection. And I love the way Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. I read it at just about every single funeral. He said, Beloved, do not sorrow as those who have no hope. And then he begins to tell us that the Lord himself will come. He says, We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. That at the moment, in a moment, in a single moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ 
will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Folks, I'm telling you, there's more to live for than just all of these little things down here. Can I tell you something? I just need to be bold. I just need to be honest today. That truck that's got you missing work or got you missing church every weekend because you're living on more than you can afford, you can't take it to heaven with you. That boat can't take it. All of those things aren't wrong. God gave this earth for us to enjoy. We're to enjoy the fruit of our labors. But folks, when we begin to allow things to take us far away from God, then it becomes God in our lives. It becomes an idol. And folks, slowly those things that are meant to be a blessing can become a curse to us. But we need to live with an expectation that Jesus could come at any moment. And can you imagine being alive like he said, it could be in, in the evening. Families around the dinner table. Could be in midnight while somebody's on the bed. You know why Jesus said those things? Because it's going to be a different time around the world. When he comes, there are going to be some people at midnight. There will be some in the morning. There will be some in the evening. Because we have vast time zones around this, this planet. Can you imagine being around the dinner table? And the family gets done saying amen, blessing the food. And all of a sudden, that trumpet begins to blow. And those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord. And our feet lose gravity. And up ahead of us is grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and aunt and uncle and former pastor and people that poured into our lives those who are restored and changed be an amazing thing but as equally amazing will be equally, equally scary for those who don't make it folks can I just be as blunt and as honest today as I possibly know how quit buying this garbage Hollywood and everywhere else sells you. Everybody's going to heaven. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. Yeah, I believe there's going to be a last day revival. Yes, I believe there's going to be a last day in gathering. But you've got to understand at the same time, simultaneously, there are things happening. There are falling away. There are things that are going on in the earth. And there are going to be more people left. May not be the same country to country. Understand some countries are more Christian than others. But there are going to be a lot of people left behind to face the mess that's coming on the earth which in and of itself is an entirely different message, but it's horrible. I want everybody to stand this morning.